pandemic of violence floods the streets of major cities as cases of the media dubbed murder virus, MV20 soar, causing those infected to go on killing sprees. Caught in the middle, police detective Angela Miller finds her only trustworthy ally in the self-proclaimed psychic PI, Gerald Henry. As the two try to navigate the violence, they are drawn into new age guru, Abra Mellon Harvest's plot to heal the planet. Harvest's missive? The world is sick, and humanity is the infection. The cure? Murder. From the twisted mind of Sean C. Baker, author of A Collection of Desires, and Shadowplay in Book One, Kim and Jesse, comes his most vicious novel yet, Murder Virus. Available where books are sold. Welcome to a very special episode of the Horror Vision Horror Podcast. My name is Alex P. Keaton. Uh, no, that's not true. Let's start that again. My name is Sean. And I am Anthony. And we're here to talk to you about drug addiction. Specifically, the addiction to the cursed object, the silver coin. Insert creepy music here. So, volume two of... Michael Walsh and Company's The Silver Coin recently hit comic book stands, and Anthony, you picked it up, read it, and said, hey, let's do a deep dive on this fucker, right? Absolutely. And, and why did you want to do a deep dive? Uh, because it's amazing, for one, um, and it's got a whole bunch of, you know, awesome writers, and let's not forget Walsh's incredible fucking artwork that's yeah. in every single goddamn haunting issue. Yep. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's something that we brought up on the podcast before, and, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I also just read this, and I felt like it's something that needed more attention. So, there are currently 11 issues out right now. Uh, the newest issue is going to be coming out this coming Wednesday on the 20th of July, and I do implore folks to go out there and pick that one, and also go back and, uh, you know, pick up the current library that's available. But uh, just as a warning, we are spoiling every single issue here. We are going to go a little in-depth on all of them. And uh, I think it's time to give the devil its due. Amen. His due. Her due. They, Her due. They, they, their due. Whatever they, they want to call him these days. Or who knows. <laughs> Her. No idea. You can cut this out. <laughs> no, no, no. Hell no. But uh, yeah, it's time for the, uh, the silver coin. So... Volume 1 and Volume 2 and Trade Paperback will be on the shelves, as Anthony mentioned. That's the library available, and probably, you know, a lot of the comic shops will probably have, you know, what, I, what has been going for, I guess, a little bit, uh, probably about a year and a half, because I know there's typically, like, a small break between the, you know, like, it was the first, what was it, six issues or five issues, and then there was the break, and then they came, then, and they got picked back up, right? Uh, yeah. I think that was, five was Covenant, it ends with that, Walsh's the illustration of him saying like thanks everybody the response has been wonderful and now we're going to come back with more writers and so this is an anthology comic book it's an anthology horror comic book 
Michael Walsh does all the art. In uh, the only situation where he doesn't is there's some backup uh, stories. I think. Well, I think there's one or two that he doesn't do. Um, and then he has enlisted. Uh, it's just some really top tier talent. So let, let's go issue by issue. So absolutely. The first issue, the ticket is Chip Zdarsky, is the writer, and. Um, Man, I don't know. <laughs> Rereading this, I mean, I'm going to probably say this for all of them, but I was like, this might be my favorite issue. Really? I re- like, yeah, I really liked it. It's the funkiest one to me, but it's... Is that because of the disco? <laughs> the disco shits? <laughs> I want to hear why it's so high up. On your list, I just read this one last night. I, it's been a while since I've read uh, one through five, so I, you know, took the the first trade out last night and zipped through it pretty quickly. Uh, and that's not to say that's not doing it a disservice. No. It just it keeps you that engaged, and Agreed. you want more. Um, yeah, but please. So you know, I don't know. Maybe it was just because I hadn't read it since it first came out, um, and I remembered it, but I, there was just something about going back to it, and so. It's 19... The other thing with this is it, we jump all over the place. So the coin, we the first issue we start in 78 and it's a, a rock band playing this bar and they get a, they're pissed off because they, they, they've been playing there for years and they're playing the 7 o'clock slot where nobody's there and then with the next slot, the disco hits is this local disco band. It's 1978, so that's what was, you know, moving people in the clubs and uh, the place fills out then and they're just pissed off or whatever. And you, so it's a three piece, uh, girl drummer. I think it's Lisa, maybe no, uh, Ashley. And then Ryan is the guitar player and he's kind of the main character, right? So he ends up getting a box of his mother's belongings from his father. She had left them and there's this coin. And so he has in his pocket, he loses his pick one day at practice, starts playing with it. And the other band members are like, holy shit, what just happened? They go and play, and then from there, they just their success increases. And so we have this is a you know a cursed object. This is the the coin is the heart of the anthology. Um, the kind of the slug line for the series is a curse needs to feed, and so we're just going to follow this coin through through history. Um, what I lo- what I liked a lot about this issue is that as soon as they acquired the coin. They knew they did not have the talent. They're yes. Like, no, we know right now automatically it's the coin yeah. that is doing this. We know without it we are shit. We know without it you can't play guitar worth, you know, dick. And uh, we need to, you know, protect this. And his and the the guitarist idea is to kind of look out and protect his band and, and take them wherever it is that he's going because he 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 does believe at one point that they're all deserving of success. Um. That quickly goes awry. Yep. It goes awry. Uh, these guys get a shot at a record deal. Um, unfortunately, it's just not the time in history. Uh, disco is still the big thing. And, and you know, as a disco fan, you know, <laughs> especially Kiss's disco. Kisco, I believe they call it. Kisco. Kisco. Oh, my God. I was made for loving you. Every, every issue uh, is actually going to bring us back to either Kiss or something Gene Simmons said. That's a lie, uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's unfortunate, and I have seen this, you know, tough break kid, you know, um, talk from a lot of like 
you know, record execs and reps that go out there and say, you know what, you've got it, but now's not your time. And they get that talk and the guitarist goes, well, you know, fuck you basically. And, uh, says, well, you know, we're going to basically carve our own path and people, you know, the other guys in the group or the gal and the guy in the group, they, they go on to say, you know, why are you in such a rush for fame? Like we can, we can still make this work. Well, he decides that he's going to leave him in the dust and go join the disco shits. <laughs> and how does that work out for Ryan? Well, there's a great disco song called Disco Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that is what they are playing when the uh, when he ignites. He <laughs> please he does he ignites. elaborate elaborate. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he's playing so fucking hard, his fingers are the flesh is falling off his fingers, and he just starts burning. It looks like his eyes are imploding, and then. Just cut to the firefighters. Uh, you know, it is interesting. I really like the fact that, so for a cursed object, I mean, and this makes sense because it's like, it get, it's monkey's paw, right? It gives you uh, what you want, but like there's a backhanded element to it. Yes. So like, oh, this is what I want, but this actually sucks. So yeah, they, they get awesome and they pack the club and then the record executive from Tele, uh, Polygram? Polygram is like, yeah, sorry. Like, not I can you might be great, but... We're riding the disco. We're train. riding the disco train. Yeah. So you know, try again a couple of years or change your shtick. And so I love that. Like, it just oh man, it's like they're riding so high after that gig, and they meet him, and then it just pulls the rug right out from under him. And then, then you see what kind of person Ryan is. And uh, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of this before. His band uh, does don't die. They're not there when uh, when the disco shits take the stage. I don't think. So he he basically tells them to fuck off, and then he goes and plays with the disco shits. And, and it's, yeah, it's weird as it goes on throughout the series about people that are affiliated with the coin usually meet a grizzly end. Yeah, but yeah you don't see what happened with them. And, and well, although a lot of people, so I feel like there is a point. We'll get to it because we were just talking about the newest issue. Um, it is the people affiliated with it, but also like it brings in massive casualties. Oh yes, and and so it can to some degree, manipulate the world around it so that it affects all these other people. So I find that very interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really dig number one. And there is something that I missed that Anthony pointed out about number one. And that's... So at the very end, you get the firefighters picking through the wreckage and two of them are talking about, oh, there's old Lewis. He's uh, looking for a fire sale. He likes to pick shit out of the fire and keep it if, it's, if he thinks it's worth something. And that Lewis Atkinson will reappear several times. But the issues are all out of chronological order, so we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, so that's basically issue one. Yeah, but it's interesting how this thing can entrance you and people around it, obviously. Uh, so, I mean, the folks that were in the building whilst, you know, this guy's doing the Disco Inferno are so enthralled by what's going on in front of them even though the place is burning down around them, not once do they head for the door yep. or even consider their safety. They all choose to sit there and burn alive with him, which is fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought it was a, um, a quirky first issue, and I was like, I really wonder, because a bit of it seemed kind of slapstick to me. Did, yeah, yeah. Just the big, you know, Disco Inferno thing. Uh, I was like, I really hope this isn't where <laughs> the rest of this series goes. And no, 
it, it does not. It, it goes to very, very horrifying and dark places. However, this is a fun, fun one to get you into the series, but book two just kind of takes you to another special place, which we've covered on the show before, but we're going to go a little more in-depth yeah, yeah. this time around. All right, let's talk about The, uh, Girls, of the Girls of Summer, uh, written by Kelly Thompson. Yes. It is a, uh, let's see, we've got a young lady who, you know, loves horror films, slashers and whatnot, and she is, please. Uh, early 90s. I early believe. 90s, yeah. okay. I might need you to uh, jump in on the timeline here. I, I, I think I've pieced it together mostly. Gotcha. Um, so this gal is getting ready to head off to a summer camp, and she chooses to stay up and watch something that's very Friday the 13th-ish. Uh, and her mother comes in and tells her, hey, you know, you you probably uh, shouldn't watch scary scary movies before you head off to camp. You, she doesn't want her to have a really bad experience or anything like that to where, you know, she'll be having nightmares, etc., etc. That's not the nightmare. <laughs> she loves this stuff, and much, much like uh, y'all listeners and, and, us and us as well, um, ends up at the summer camp. And she is... Well, I don't want to say the odd man out. She's the odd lady out. <laughs> she she's like the the, the horror fan, the yeah, freak, the whatever. Exactly. And the rest of the girls are like you know kind of preening around yeah. this popular girl. They're the right? mean girls, basically. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're the mean girls, and 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 unfortunately, you know, she's treated, you know, pretty awfully by them. Mm-hmm. Um, shit, they even cut her fucking hair they off. They cut her point. hair off. They had some pretty brutal summer camp shit right there, man. That like, I feel like what happens is deserved. Yeah, and then actually following that incident is when she comes across the coin. So this is another thing that pops up in the um, in the series a couple of times, and it's fucking awesome when it does because it uh, it its design is is so cool. Every time Walsh decides to put a new one together is a shrine. There's always a, yeah. no, there's not always I'll, I'll, I take that back, but there I think there's three different shrines in the book. And ever in the books, and every time they're they're shown, they're beautiful, and we'll talk about them again later on. But uh, evidently, there was a uh, serial killer who lived in the woods at, at some point. The young lady runs off through the woods after a really bad night of bullying. The night where her uh, hair was cut off by these other gals that are uh, in her bunk, uh, she stumbles across this long dead serial killer's uh, cabin in the middle of the woods, and. I'm still not certain whether or not that cabin is there from... from it, it, it's the same cabin. Hit me, yeah. It's hit the me. same cabin from when we get to the origin of the curse. Okay. So it goes back to Purit- Puritan New England. Okay. Uh, basically, from this point on, this gal finds the shrine of the slasher and goes to take his machete off the shrine when she finds herself attacked by said slasher. And then chaos ensues. All these mean girls are out hanging around the, you know, the fire at night. Some people are gathering wood. The main mean girl is kind of dishing out orders and having the other gals go, you know, get gather firewood yeah. and, and just other provisions and whatnot, and not really doing shit. Well, this uh, killer shows up and begins, you know, hacking these young ladies to bits. Uh, they are dispatched in various methods. All of them very grisly and yeah. entertaining to look at on <laughs> on the pages. Like again, very well illustrated here. If you like summer camp slashers, this is like 
it's it's just taking like the legacy of all of them and like you know streamlining it. It's really cool. What's cool about this machete that's being wielded is that in the hilt, there's a a, a carve out for it where the silver coin actually sits inside of it. So, come to find out, uh, when one of these gals is being hacked to bits, the machete is drove into one of the girl's chests. She then takes uh, an axe, an, an axe, flips it around to go drive it into, uh, drive the machete into the gal's chest, and shatters the hilt. And so, in doing so, the uh, the, the silver coin goes loose you know, kind of pan out and you realize that it's not, it's not the killer that we'd originally thought. And, it, you know, this is something that could have been, you know, seen coming a mile away, but still really cool to see was it's the young girl that's being bullied. Now, I don't know whose face she's wearing, but she's wearing a face. So this is what I think. So when you, when she finds, so she goes into the cabin, so the girls cut her hair, she runs off into the woods, she sees this cabin. And it is the same cabin, and the lights are on. She goes in, she finds the shrine, she sees the coin, and she says, it breathes. The, then somebody blows out the candle, the candles that are lit for the shrine, and a shadow appears with glowing eyes and a machete. Attacks her, throws it at her, they struggle, Then we pan out and we see four uh, vertical panels of the same shot of the cabin, and in the windows you can see the struggle until finally a shadowy figure emerges. I don't think there's anybody there. I think the struggle is is inside of herself. I think it's her the whole time. I think she picks up. I think she says the coin. Like she looks at the coin, and says it breathes. Then I think she picks up the machete and struggles, and we're seeing a, a um, like a physical rendering of the struggle she's going through in her head until she emerges from the cabin. When she emerges from the cabin, she's in shadows because obviously the way the story goes, like, we don't know who it is, right? She goes up and kills the most popular girl first, the one that's giving the others orders. And so she's sitting there waiting for them to finish what she's ordered them to do. She kills her, and then when she goes to kill the next one and we finally see who's doing the killing, that's when we see that the person wearing the... the um, face that they removed from the popular girl gotcha okay. so it took me a couple times to figure it out there's no way you can you can't look at the face she's wearing and, and figure that out. it's just the inference that like okay that must be who she's wearing yeah the proverbial hack job yeah yeah well said <laughs> um but yeah so i mean this is just my take on it um going further in i i and, and we'll touch on this later on uh i Figured it was a physical manifestation of uh, of possession. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. Obviously, in my opinion, not by her. Not not oh. her. Not her inner demon, but the quote unquote demon, which we'll talk about later on. I, I guess I should say I didn't. I, I misspoke. I don't think it's her inner demon. I do think it's like something that goes into her. Yes. So like th this cursed demon or whatever. Um. But there's some really grisly uh, shots later on, not shots, but panels later on where you see the main mean girl impaled uh, in the middle of the fire pit. Dude, it, it, I think that this, <laughs> this shot with the body dump yes. is like, oh, it's comical to me because the one is like on the archer circle with no head and there's arrows sticking out of her. The one in the colorful shirt is just like draped over some buckets that they were using to tie-dye their shirts and she's covered in blood. <laughs> The one's hung upside down from a tree, and her head is on a... 
stump with two arrows sticking out of the eyes and one's hung. I mean, it's just, it's comical in like a very morbid way. <laughs> well, it's so funny because it's like a quick way to uh, wrap up all the uh, the body finds like in a Friday the 13th film yeah. where instead of, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go into this door. Ah, there's yeah, another yeah. body. Let's go in this room. Ah, another body. Like, it's all there for you. I mean, obviously they've got to wrap this up in what, 22 pages, yeah. 23 pages. And uh, it, it's totally effective and it is a really fun one. And again, so it's like we're heading into book two and I'm like, okay, so they covered slashers so far. So I wonder what other, you know, things they're going to uh, really touch on as far as the, the series goes and uh, and it goes. So two last things about number two before we go to number three. Sure. So when at the end, after she kills the last girl and after the silver coin gets loose from the machete or actually it's not a machete, it's an ax, whatever. Wait, was it machete first? I'm confused now. Hold on, let me flip back here. It was a machete at first, but it's an axe later. Oh, no, I see. So the machete is sticking out yeah, of the girl's form. Okay, that's what you said earlier. Yeah. That's right. So once it gets loose and we see it roll away, rolls down a hill, launches off a little thing and lands on a like a stone that's floating in the creek or whatever. Um, once it's gone... She's like, what's happening? And she removes the face, and then you just see her wide-eyed. She's like, no, 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 no. What have I done? So, you know, there now the possession is lifted, right? I'd be curious to know what happens to this character in a future issue. Um, other thing we have not mentioned is in both these issues and in future issues, there is a crow that always intervenes in some negative way. So, it'll, well, not always negative, but it'll say, like, no. Like, when yeah. she's approaching the cabin, it says no. It'll warn you, yeah. But then in other uh, issues, it interferes with things in a way that seemingly helps the, the cursed or possessed person. Yeah, it seems like it's bound with a coin also. Yeah, and and, and it is. It's So we're gonna, we'll get into that when we get to five, because yeah. they give the origin of the crow as well. Yeah. So three... Uh, oh, and by the way, I just have to put out that Kelly Thompson, who, who wrote this... I'm not super familiar, but she writes, um, I know, she, she writes Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel, and it's all very, and I think she wrote Black Widow. It's very highly regarded. Those aren't my titles. No, mine either. But, the, I mean, I listen to podcasts where they talk about these books, and, like, they're highly revered as far as those characters and that kind of element of the Marvel Universe. So, it's cool that she's like, oh, I'm going to let my hair down and do a fucking su brutal summer camp slasher. Yeah. I'm going to go slum it and make some disgusting shit yeah. and get this out of my system. So, I'm glad she did. I'm glad she did, too. I, Kelly Thompson, story. please do do some more horror. Yeah. Um, and if she's done some and I missed it when I when I did my research on her, please, you know, drop us a comment and say, hey, dickhead, go read this. And I'll, I'll be like, thank you. So, issue three... This is Death Rattle, and that this is Ed Brishon, or Brisson, I'm not entirely sure how to say that, but this one, <laughs> so Ed Brisson is doing, I know um, on a Most Horrible Library, Chris from that show really digs a book called Beyond the Breach, so he does that. Oh, okay, yeah, um, Aftershock, I believe. Yes, Yeah. and uh, he also, um, he's done uh, recently... Some work for Marvel. He, I believe he's doing the Predator book, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah. That but, drops in August. Yes. Yeah. I believe he's doing that. And then, um, or at least, I, I, I'm not really sure what the, because that, that, that book was supposed to come out like a year ago. That or was supposed right? to come out last, last November? Or, okay. Um, but that was a pushback even then because of legal 
Yeah, that's what that's what it was. So he, he also um, he has a self-published crime series called Murder Book. He's done some Ghost Riders, some Wolverine. Uh, so yeah, I mean he 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 writes a lot. Um, so number three, Death Rattle. This is a home invasion that goes bad, and this. So you, again, we get a so the same as issue one. There's a group of people so in that it's a band it's two guys and a girl in this the home invaders it's two guys and a girl and they fuck up it starts with them basically like oh shit we accidentally killed this old guy whose house we broke into to rob and the girl has a bad feeling they basically tell her to shut the fuck up they take all this stuff and of course the coin is there and it starts kind of talking to her and showing her stuff she's freaking out uh they burn the fucking house down, and then they get chased by the cops, and everything, you know, goes awry. They end up dead, except for her, and she ends up running through the woods, and this is the first time we see... So we see the crow again, and we also see, for the first time, these figures in these woods. So all of these take place in the same general area. They don't say it, but it's, it, it appears to, and it's New England somewhere. I believe it's probably upstate New York, I'm thinking, um, because New York City is in several issues. But um, as she runs into the woods, she starts being followed by, they look like spirits or, or like, not zombies exactly, but they do at some point kind of behave that way. And she starts to change and she has the coin and it's telling her like, it's, wait, it's waiting, he's waiting for you, he wants us back. And she attacks the police that are following her and she goes to the cabin. And it's the same cabin again. And inside is what looks like a, a puritanical, um, I, what we commonly see in a lot of stuff is like one of these witch finder characters that the church sends out to go to these colonies to like, you know, better make sure nobody's, you know, uh, consorting with the devil. You haven't been in league with Satan as of late, have you? Exactly. And uh, she returns the coin to him and then just burns. And we just end on a, uh, a fade out of the cabin. And so... The interesting thing about this is the old man that they rob, and this is December 18th, 1986. The old man they rob? Retired firefighter, Lewis Atkinson. <laughs> so that motherfucker picked that shit up in 78, and whether he had it the whole time or not, eight years later, they get it from him. And now it is being returned to this witch finder who we'll get to. So we're starting to see a little bit more, like this is where this book... As it jumps around in the continuity, the time, um, it, it's kind of hard to piece together where this thing's been and who, who all it's touched and who, you know, are we going to see this person again? Are we going to see this person again? We will see Lewis again. Um, so during that eight years. And um, we start to see more of this mythology with this Witchfinder character, again with the cabin, now we've seen it twice. And then the crow, but then also these figures that are in the woods that appear to be attached to the coin somehow. This is also the first time we hear, or not hear, but read that the coin can uh, verbalize uh, words to you yes. uh, via dead corpses that are around you. Yeah. So it does this once with the, the old man, who is now dead on the floor, and after a horrific car accident... And this is another way you can tell it's, what, 86? Yeah. Because the guy's got a really shitty mullet. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he's got a really shitty mullet. And when he's dead, uh, and he's just mangled in the car accident, um, the coin is now speaking through him to, to this young lady. 
Um, while they're doing their getaway, there is, uh, you know, she's giving directions which way to turn, and it's telling you to, she wants you to turn off a, a road that leads to Lake Serenity, which I'm assuming is the lake from yeah. from the last book. So there you have that. But uh, yeah, a pretty gnarly one. It's it's really cool on how uh, this young lady's possessed and, and the lengths that she's willing to go to to protect it now to, you know, keep her... I hate to say my precious, you know, but it technically is at, at this point where she uh, she pulls a piece of glass, a shard of glass out of her arm and just slices her boyfriend's throat yeah. so that he doesn't have a shot at it either. Um, and he's laying there all fucked up, turned upside down in this car with a big shard going through his eye. He, he it Just everything's a mess. Everything has gone horribly wrong in this story. And, uh, and what a delight it is for us to sit there and go on that journey with them oh dude absolutely um see again it's like every 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 issue i'm like oh is this my favorite like i yeah. I, I just man this this series is so fucking solid um oh, okay so four <laughs> four is titled 2467 written by jeff lemire who you know boneyard orchard mythos which is the new thing with andrea sorrentino uh gideon falls um May's book, uh, Black Hammer, fucking Sweet Tooth. We can go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very prolific uh, writer. This was on my first reading. Actually, my least favorite. Same. Last night, reading it again gave me a new appreciation for it. Same. So we're now in the future. Obviously, what twenty four twenty four sixty seven. That's that's where we're at. And uh, there's a lot of body modification that's been done to people. Uh, basically, we're we're starting out with. Uh, Three th- hoods, I would imagine. Yeah. That are on the outskirts of a uh, a city that is basically, I think, think along the lines of uh, Judge Dredd, where everything's being yep. held inside the mega city. Everything outside is just the wasteland. Yep. And to be outside in those wastelands is is forbidden. You're not allowed out there because who knows what's out there that can come back in the city and you know cause chaos. Anyway. Um, so we've got these three hoods that are out there robbing somebody. And once again, two guys and a girl. Two guys and a girl robbing someone. And they they make a comment about not damaging this guy's eyes. And there's a reason for that. There's an element of body horror that's been added to this thing that I didn't fully appreciate before. And now reading it again, well, having reread it last night, have it's just become totally creepy and something I kind of want to see in live action. It's something I've definitely never seen before. And, you know, Lemire did a fucking awesome job with that. And so basically she pulls out a false eye and says, worms go. I I, I don't know what the fuck these things are. It's, it's worms free. Worms and then, free, I'm sorry. Then you see a little caption that's obviously the computer talking or like, I don't know if it's in her head or if, if they could hear it, but it says initiating wetware preparing for link so these worms literally crawl out of her eye and link with the other guy's eyeball and they're able to uh basically rob his credits (laughs) hack his bank account steal all his shit and then they leave him for dead uh, after having you know brutally accosted him it reminds me the only so i have seen this before and in Old Claremont Silvestri Uncanny X-Men, the issues with the Reavers in Australia, Donald Pierce 
had a thing where his eyes would grow these like wormy tentacles oh, and they would go for and I can't remember who like you know what the scene was exactly but it's very similar um and it, it's it is gross but it's wonderful it oh man and it's gross in this book Walsh another another fucking stunning uh bit of illustration here that's yeah. just gross to look at um they're eventually found out uh, by by uh, their local PD. They send out drones, armed drones, to go out, and they're warned. You know, hey, you guys can uh, turn yourselves over, or you'll be shot. Basically, that's that's the end of you guys. Yeah. Um, they f- quickly find these motorcycles, where much like uh, the I I don't know the names of them, but like the bicycles and things that you would find all around town, and you're able to you know insert credits and yeah, yeah, yeah so they use what they just stole which meant it was for nothing <laughs> yeah to you know automate these bikes drive away and then come to find out you know in this this chase uh the two guys are gunned down well one of them is shot uh he goes down the guy that's following him uh immediately behind him anyway ends up riding over his body flips, skids his face along yes. the ground, and just goes out in Crunch. an awful way. Really, really horrible. Uh, again, everybody who comes in contact with this thing doesn't doesn't go out pleasantly. Yeah. Um, and then, kind of, whatever computer she has going on in her head tells her, you know, there's a way out of this. You need to, you know, go this direction. Yeah, it's, it's like a GPS. It's like, she's yeah. like, I need a way out and so it's trying to direct her. Exactly. And it, it she comes upon this chasm and she's like, really? I need to jump down there? Like, are you serious? And, you know, it's that or die. And she hops down this thing, grabs onto some co- sort of cable, cable snaps. She goes flying down several stories, splooshes in the water, enter our second shrine. Oh, um, no, not not yet. Not well, yet. So okay. she, th- this is my favorite. This was what makes the whole book for me. Well, the shrine. But before the shrine. So a lot like Judge Dredd or um, I think, what's the other? There's a movie based on a manga. I've never read the manga. Priest. The city is actually built on, that they're living in in the future is built above our world, right? So when she falls down, it looks like it's New York City, but destroyed. That takes me back to uh, Futurama. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when she drops down there and splooshes into the water, like there's skyscrapers that are just destroyed and barely, you know, standing up. They're all at odd angles, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. There's just debris everywhere. The drone follows her down, and then she runs into a building and boom. And then we have our, our second shrine. Um, not in chronological order, but it's it's the second shrine that we see, which is this really breathtaking scene where it's a um, a corpse in a throne almost and uh, there's you can't tell if they're vines or some kind cables. of organic matter cables not sure what the hell is coming out of every orifice all over the body and it's just a beautiful fucking panel it looks incredible and you know in in the open palm of the corpse lays the coin and right next to him what leads her to him the crow Ah, Sean, you want to take over for this episode or this this issue? Uh, I mean, just once she gets that coin, um, her computer's saying virus detected, virus detected, uh, but virus accepted ultimately, right? Yes. And then she uses her eye worms. Uh, she knocks the the um, 
the drone out of the sky, uses her worms to link with it, and then that links with this police officer who's controlling it from an undisclosed, you know, location. And then he disconnects himself. This was the part I didn't entirely understand. He disconnects himself, walks out of the precinct, kneels before her, and she rips... Instead of eyes, he has this, like, visor, right? So she rips the visor off, and you can see he's got those same, like, wet, wet work, like, um, worm things in his eyes that must have interfaced with this visor. He collapses, and then you get virus detected, virus detected again as she's standing in front of the precinct. And she is surrounded by the ghosts that we had seen in the woods in the last episode. Um, what... I questioned at that point was when it says virus detected, virus detected, virus detected, is it now spreading? Oh, see, that's good. See, yeah. okay, okay. I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be her again or, like, if that was, you know, the precinct computer or if it was just all over the place. That's kind of what I'd gathered from it, that it's now it's now spreading. That makes sense. Now, one thing to note, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this officer's name because they explicitly say it at some point. And it should be said, they don't always name everybody in here in these stories. The officer's name is um, Colton Dudley. So we'll get back to that in a minute because that's going to recur uh, to a degree in the next issue. But yeah, you know, I, I do agree with you. Like when I first read it, I remember being excited for the idea when I saw the solicitation. One of the cool things about the, the monthly version of this book too is the last page is always like a piece of art from the next issue and like, you know, like a, um, a log line for it. And then often some like, you know, the, the art will often have the, the word bubbles. So you get like a slice of what's, what's happening and you don't always understand the context. So I was excited that like, oh, Lemire's doing it. It's in the future. Like we're going, and we're going that fucking far into the future. Like 2467, like holy shit, man. That, that's a big swing, right? And also it means ultimately... This thing, is, no one is successful in stopping it. Exactly. So now that that makes it even more interesting that if that is spreading, so if we're in twenty four sixty seven and now it's spreading through, like you said at the end, into this, if this whole society is so tech geared and this city built on the ruins of the other world, no you know, one's our safe. World, no one's safe. So that really opens things up. Um, man, it just what a fucking. Again, like, is this my favorite issue? <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, uh, again, reading it the first time, I was kind of disappointed because it wasn't it, it wasn't like a traditional... It wasn't the traditional horror that I, I'd already seen from the previous issues. So it was one of those things where I was like, wow, is this the one that's kind of lacking? And I was expecting a bit more. Having gone and read it a second time, no, I was completely fucking wrong the first time. I don't know. I must have been high on smack or something. I don't know what it was, but... No, uh, no. I, I mean, I think it's just often when something like takes a big swing like that, especially when it, the series had just started out and they had been dealing with very defined tropes to a degree, it seems a little bit like out of phase. But now when you read it, you've you've got 11 other issues, right? Oh, yes. Definitely. And so now you're starting to see like this is a way bigger oh, yeah. story than we initially thought it was. And also, like I, I said earlier, um, the next issue we deal with, which I believe was the end of the... The first um, arc. Yeah. The first arc, and so the first trade, that's the one where at the back Walsh has illustrated himself saying, hey, thanks everybody, like the, you guys really like this, and now we get to come back and do more. So he probably didn't necessarily know. I mean, I'm assuming he he has ideas as far as an over... Even though we have these other writers, I'm sure Walsh or Walsh and some of them, I don't know how it went down, but they laid out the framework, right, that of they're course. now playing inside. 
So there's probably a, like a Bible, like a guidebook as far as like, okay, if you're going to write an issue, just know this, this, and this because kind of got to incorporate that. Yeah, these are the, the three things we need. We need the crow, we need the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make this work and then go wild. Exactly. Uh, so that brings us to number five, Covenant. And this one is written and drawn by Michael Walsh. And this may be my favorite. <laughs> it might be my favorite cover for sure. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, this first read was just... It fucking floored me, but please. No, no, go, go, go. No, I just remember reading it that first time and, and putting it down and, and calling you and asking you, have you read it yet? And you said, no. I said, dude, get on it. It's so fucking good. It is, man. But uh, here we are, issue five, uh, written and illustrated by Michael Walsh. Covenant. Covenant. And this is an origin story. So we're going to get into uh, a, a setting here. We are in a... Where would you say we are? So this is colonial New England, okay. um, the Puritans. Um, they don't give an exact date, okay. I believe. No, you're, you're marker on this one, huh? No. Okay. They don't all have exact dates. Yeah. But uh, here we are, and there is a woman who is... Uh, involved in the occult and and supernatural and she is a i guess she would she would be deemed a good witch yeah she's the neighborhood you know oh hey yeah. my goat's sick can you can you do something exactly to help it's unfortunately it starts off with a uh, a birth uh that goes goes wrong and uh the woman rebecca tries her best to to you know help help uh as like a midwife to yeah to, uh help this woman this poor woman who loses her child during pregnancy or, or through the birthing process anyway um just, it's just yeah it's yucky but anyway uh we move forward and almost immediately after that she's walking out you know she hasn't even had time to kind of process what just happened and obviously it's something terrible and uh somebody comes running up oh hey you know i've, I've got a, a sick <laughs> can you mind coming by and, and you know working some of your magic and she's like, really, I, I'll come by tomorrow sometime or, you know, I'll come over for tea and come hang out with you some other time. Now's not a good time. Well, she ends up getting badgered into going over, checking yeah. out the goat. The goat has like a growth coming out of its eye. And, um, and she ends up uh, going about her business, does a little bit of, you know, incantation and, and some... Uh, uh, what would you call it? A ward. She prefers... The, the, and then yeah. the woman specifically asks her... Because she says, oh, I'll make a, a salve to put on the, the sore and it'll make yeah. it go away. And she's like, oh, can you do a ward to, like, make sure that it's safe? So the woman, is, like, it seems like Rebecca is trying not to, like, be super ostentatious about what she can do. And the woman's like, no, I know you can do this. Can you yeah. do this? And so she does. So she cuts her hand and, and makes a ward. And as she's going back to her, her cabin, which I'm assuming is... It is the cabin. The cabin. It is the cabin. Uh, she... Uh, exhibits other other powers where she's walking with a a crow that she calls Duncan. Yeah, and this, the goat, by the way, which she could understand, she speaks yeah. to Greta, Greta the goat, who says, "Who asks? Take her, me with you. Yeah, please take me with you. <laughs> this bitch is nuts. Take me with." Well, you. who knows what her old man's doing to the goat? You know. Uh -huh. what I mean? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is the first time you you see that she can also speak to animals, and uh, you know goes home. She's tired for the day, you know, basically snaps her fingers, kicks up the fire, starts up dinner, 
and then enter this, you know, Witchfinder General that shows up in town. Whose name, interestingly enough, I said we'd get back to this, is Cotton Dudley. So in the last uh, issue we had Colton Dudley, and now we've got Cotton Dudley. So keep that in mind. I have theories. Yes. Um, now this guy's man. Wow, smarmy. And and he's the one. So he goes to the woman with the goat and basically says, "I know you know this woman, Rebecca. I want you to fucking rat her out for being a devil worshiper." And here's a silver coin. There's a lot more where that came from. Yes. So we get the origin of we've got the origin of the cabin. We've got the origin of the coin. We've got the origin of this witchfinder guy. We've got the origin of the crow. Yes. I mean, it's this is like what we think is well. It, I think it's the beginning of the current iteration of the curse, right? Yes. Um. So here we go. Uh, witchfinder shows up. Uh, you know, accuses her of witchcraft. Actually, before before doing that, he uh. He goes to her friend, who, you know, as Sean just mentioned, uh, offers her a silver coin, bribes her, basically says, hey, you know, sell out your friend, and, uh, you know, we won't have to worry about this anymore. He goes into town, riles everybody up, you know, gets a gang squad together. Um, at some point, she's struck in the head with a shovel as they chase her around. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. They hunt her down. And basically, you know, get her to confess that, you know, she's consorted with Satan, et cetera, et cetera. And the last thing she does before she's hung is uh, curses the silver coin. Um, I, so she sees her friend holding the coin, which, by the way, the friend, the fact that she's, like, holding that coin, like, kind of dumb. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, not, it's not written dumb, just kind of dumb on the friend's part. But she says, I see you, friend, and the coin that bought you. And I curse it. Let it bring you horrors unimaginable. And then they hang her. They hang her. And then uh, Witchfinder goes to, uh, you know, pay his debt. And uh, the the lady isn't feeling too well. Well, so before he... <laughs> she goes home and the goat, one of the gnarliest illustrations ever. Um, I don't even know what to say that that looks like. Uh, it's, if you if you took Black Phillip and mixed it with Uriah Heep's Abominog, you might be in the ballpark. Um, and it bites her. And it's so basically, oh man, he calls it, her Judas. As he well. calls her Judas. He's bleeding from the nose, uh, from the mouth, and then where the the cyst had been by his eye or the sore. Now it's there's more of them and they're all eyes and it is fucking gross and awesome. It's pretty fucking gnar looking and um, if I could get it on a shirt, I would wear it. Yeah, yes, That'd yes, dude. If I could get it on a pillow cover or like <laughs> sheets or something, you know. Waking like, up to that every morning would wouldn't it be great? But he brighten my day. He bites her and then the, when when uh, Dudley goes to um, give her the rest of the coins, we see her and. Wow, like if the, I thought the goat was gross. Like she is just, like literally her face is just boils. Yes. It is really gnarly looking. And you just want to be like, don't you want to like lance some of those? Like let that out, you know? Yeah, but you know, you you, you want to keep some of the juice so you don't dry out. That's gross. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's gross. I, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I no, apologize. No, don't, don't apologize. No, but it's it's really nasty. It's um, pretty nasty. And she's actually attacked by the goat again. Uh, the goat uh, 
not unlike the film The Witch, yeah. impales her with, yep. with, uh, with his horn. And at this point, it is completely fucked up looking. Like, there's this, this thing barely looks like an animal anymore. It's really gross, just really grotesque looking. And, um, and that's the end of, uh, of The Betrayer. And on to, uh, Dudley. What, on to Dudley. Sean, uh, take it away. Here comes Dudley. One of my, one of my favorite Jesus lizard songs. <laughs> um, yeah, he finds a coin and basically is like, ah, oh, she's friend of a witch fucker, whatever. I thought you were going to talk about Dudley Moore. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I'm a drunk. <laughs> I don't, um, but as he's, he, so he thinks he's riding away, uh, through the woods and, you know, he's done his, his, uh, the Lord's work or whatever. He's all high and mighty. His horse throws him off and then he sees these spirits in the woods. He sees Rebecca and she basically like, you've butchered so many women. Now the curse needs to feed. He tries to get away and, um, he actually at one point steps on his Bible, which I thought was a nice touch. It right. Was, it was funny. Uh, and then when he goes to get back on the horse, the horse just kicks him right in the fucking face. And, like, <laughs> we'll see it later in another issue. His face basically just caves in in the center. It's yeah. it's really fantastic. And then the coin rolls free. And, uh, oh. He says a line to her about, uh, after he finds, because he does come back and find the woman who's covered with boils. And uh, I think he says something like, that's what you get for consorting with a witch or something like that. Something to that degree. He just says, friend to a witch, eh? Friend the to Lord a witch. works in mysterious ways. Yeah. And then he, but he's gloating over it because now he gets to keep the coin. The, the coin. He gets to keep the coin and he gets, gets to keep the pay. But yeah, <laughs> he gets his fucking comeuppance and it's, it's done in brutal fashion. But yeah, to see his face get caved in by that horse, I'm just like, yeah, you fuck. Yeah. <laughs> just really oh. glad to see that. It's very gratifying. And it was. The I, I don't know if you had so the last page then is two kids running in the woods and the one trips and falls as they're playing and he sees the coin and picks it up. And I don't know, it looks to me like it's it's not the same time period. It looks like it still would be well before present day. Or even 1978, but I don't know that they're dressed like Puritans dress. No, in fact, I would almost say that it looks like something found probably immediately after Girls of Summer. Maybe. Uh, that's just my opinion. No, that could very well be. But that's the thing. It, it ended up in the lake, so I don't I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's a, true. Maybe it's a future issue where there's a diver or something like that. I mean, that's it, it, one of the things I like about this book, too, where they have touched back on these people kind of unexpectedly. So it leaves me wondering, like... Oh, like, who are we going to see? The, like, we could see these kids again. We could see any number. Like, we don't even see where uh, Greta the goat goes. Yeah. Like, she she impales her owner and then just fucking wanders off by the time Dudley gets there. So. I would love to see something interesting like that where, you know, the kid takes the coin to school or something like that for show and tell. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it could get really bad. Yeah. Kill the kids. No, I'm kidding. Um... Yeah, so that's six. No, I'm sorry, that's, that's five. five. That's five. So now we're moving on to six. We've got six more fun-filled issues to go. Yeah. So uh, strap in. This is another. So, and so six is interesting. I think this is the B. Yeah, this is the B cover. Um, interesting thing about this one. That is the A. All the black. All the black covers are the A covers. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't realize that. Um, this is the killer. From, so in 
the second issue where the girl is about to go to summer camp and she's watching the summer camp slasher movie and her mom's like, you probably shouldn't be watching that before you go to summer camp. Yes. This is the killer from that. He's wearing, like a, he's huge overalls, has a, a, like, what is it, a bandsaw or something and um, a, like a baby mask or something on. Um, something that I agree, yeah. They reference in um, a future issue... a movie series called Camp Killer and that they're on like number 10 or some shit now. So I'm assuming that this is a franchise in the world of the Silver Coin. Yeah, because it's supposed to be something like Horror Fighter so there's supposed to yes. be a bunch, of, a bunch of different serial killers from various films. So we've got, uh, yeah, basically this one, High Score, it's an arcade and it is, a, so it's, they don't give you a date. However, it is definitely early 90s uh, because they reference directly as if like the one kid says to another one you hear what happened at the girls summer camp yeah also uh, that was the heyday of of, of arcades yeah that's that true yeah yes yeah. that that you know went away with the rise of the home console but that's a whole other different conversation <laughs> I mean I, I was already in summer camp in girls of summer I was basing the early 90s thing on she's got a, a sonic youth poster on her wall yeah exactly I did I did notice that um and then also, I, th I forget if they actually explicitly say she's watching a VHS or not. I'm not I don't remember. Like, if, they don't say it, but if you see the cover yeah. or something. But at any rate, uh, so this one takes place in an arcade. It does take place in an arcade. And it kind of goes into the obsession with, like, Mortal Kombat in the early 90s. And just how violent can you get your video games. And so we've got a young man in there, and he doesn't really he does he's not a shopper he just hangs out at the arcade he's, and it's just something that I'm very familiar with something I, I did a lot throughout my adolescence um, long past hours when I should have been home geez I remember hanging out at arcades till like 11 or till you know they would shut down at midnight nice. crazy um, that's another conversation altogether about my my upbringing but um no, so it's really cool to see this this kid in there, and he's really enthusiastic about playing this game. Unfortunately, he's not very good at it. And there's another guy in the arcade, um, and he... Is it the guy that works at the arcade? I think... It, it, it's unclear at first, but later, I think it is. He's older. Um, he's a fucking knob. Yeah, he's yeah. a douche that just makes fun of this kid and just, you know, delights in kicking the shit out of people that aren't very good at the game. Obviously, you know, he doesn't own it and he doesn't work there. So, you know, he doesn't have that much time with it or necessarily even the funds. Yeah. So uh, he gets his ass kicked. He's eventually, you know, kind of booted out of the arcade. And as he's walking out, he gets hassled by the security guard who's like, you don't buy anything here. You don't do anything here. You know, you need to leave the, 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 the premises. So he's leaving and he stumbles upon the third shrine. Which is basically a big uh, water fountain. It's, yeah. a, it's a water water uh, piece that's in the middle of the mall, and in the uh, in the coin bath below is the silver coin. He pulls the silver coin out and says, "Okay, let's let's go play some games." Heads back to the arcade, pops the fucker in the machine, and you know his skill becomes unmatched at this point. Yes. So he's kicking everybody's ass. He's got all the high scores. Um, the best dude in the arcade, which is the dude that works there, at some point goes, all right, I'm going to give you a run for your money, and gets his ass kicked. Yep. He gets his ass kicked. He's just like, where did you learn to play? Um, 
little by little, um, you can see the possession take hold. Yeah. He can't stop playing now, much like the guitarist from the first, yeah, the exactly. first issue. He can't stop playing. And uh, anytime anybody tries to make him stop, uh, he just basically has tuned them out. Uh, we get to the point to where the arcade is closing. Uh, the arcade worker is saying, hey, you know, we got to shut it down. This leads to this brutal altercation where he grabs the guy by the back of the head and slams his eyeball into the joystick. Oh, it's so awesome. It is fucking gnarly. Um, at this point, he's starting to kind of meld with the machine, and he's slowly, um, slowly, like, bits of the game are starting to manifest outside and, and vice versa, and the security guard who gave him shit later on shows up, and he ends up pulling the scythe out of the screen, and cuts both of the security guards' arms off. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really such fucking great. cool. Oh, so good. It's it's a, <laughs> and again, it's a, it's a quirky one, um, but it's effective as, as a as somebody again who's who's um, grew up in those scenarios and and just not that I grew up cutting people's arms off, <laughs> like but you know, just being around that arcade culture and stuff like that, and loving fighting games and wanting to you know get better and and find ways to one up all your friends and. Etc. Etc. But uh, it's really fucking rad to see, you know, where the story goes. Well, eventually he is sucked into the machine completely, and I guess the next day, which is interesting, there seems to be no mention of the people that died there. They just the the guy with the coins. He's oh sorry, I'm late. The uh, the manager, which I think it must be the the knob. Yeah. Um, manager didn't show up or whatever. And that's the end of that. So you don't hear about the security guard, you don't hear about anybody else, and these local kid, oh, these kids show up and they go, okay, we want to play. Hey, there's a new character. And it turns out it's the young man who had the silver coin. Yeah. He's in the game. They said, well, do you want to, should we pick him? And they said, no, he looks like a loser. And that's basically what they called him prior yeah. to him getting the coin anyway. Um, but uh, there's another reference to another issue in here where they talk about the killer at, or the killings at the girls' camp. Yeah. From uh, Girls of Summer. I uh, think they, it's, it's just something that happens in passing. With it's like kids. the food court. It's like a yeah. couple guys hanging out at the food court. It's almost like the camera's tracking to follow the other, the yeah. kid as he goes toward the fountain, the shrine. And that's like happening at the food court. Oh, at least that's what I would deem it a shrine. I would deem it a shrine. No, I think that's fair. I, I de- Definitely. Uh, I Dude, I love... So the way that the kid pulls the, yeah, the way the kid pulls the scythe out of the the, the arcade game, it's actually the fucking the joystick, the ball uh, is I guess is that called joystick? I guess. Dude, I didn't notice that. He literally pulls. So after he impales the guy's eye on it, then he check this out. Where is this? So he grasps it, pulls it. And you see, it's like elongating, and then boom. It is the fucking weapon. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's got this face where it's something pulled taut. So it almost looks like he has a beak. So it's over the top hat. So it's like secure against the bottom of his nose and wrapped around the back of his head. So I'm wondering if it's another instance of somebody wearing somebody else's face. It doesn't explicitly show him so, removing anybody's yeah, the face. Other, the, other kill, the other killer that he plays with in the game is the one that where they tell him in the beginning, don't play as him, he sucks. It's, um, it's like a crow face. Crow Reaper, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah oh, uh, you got to stop playing as Crow Reaper, man. He's a loser. Yeah. Um, 
of note, one of the characters, all the characters would be made up, but one of them is Spawn, which yes. I was pretty funny. <laughs> who, who made his appearance in Mortal Kombat 11. Oh, there you go. Ago, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, my God. And if I'm not mistaken, is that the only appearance of the Crow in this whole yeah. whole series? It's, yes. It's that, that. As that character. As that character. Uh, and they also of note, at one point, as the possession is taking hold before the kid starts killing people, as he's playing the game, like long past he should be, he is now seeing the screen in a very video drone moment. The screen from the arcade game, like, it becomes an, a, the giant eye from the coin. Yes. And it basically, like, stretches out the screen. You know, if you think of that image from Video Drone with the face coming out, um, I think there's something like that in a couple other movies, too, like Poltergeist and uh, maybe The Ring. But Video Drone is where my mind went immediately. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of intestines in this issue. Um, <laughs> It's written by Joshua Williamson, who's Nailbiter is his, I guess, oh, image okay. book. Yeah. But also he's he's done like a bunch of Batman and stuff like that. So really, really, I feel like really great issue. Really, I never great got back into Nailbiter. I need to start reading that. I again. really liked that first trade. You gave it to me I actually. Yeah. Um, I really liked it. I do need to pick up the other ones. It's one of those. It's like so the back of number six there's a small like five page story called shiny thing by chris hampton and gavin fullerton this would be the one time that uh the first time and i think maybe the only time i can't remember that um michael walsh doesn't do the art and it's just a backup story but it involves a um a boy scout troop going through the woods and they the, the their leader is like oh look at that nest up in the tree does anyone know what that is and it's a crow's nest, and in the nest is a severed finger and the silver coin. Yeah. So there's a yeah there's a car key. There looks like a shard of glass, severed finger. Does but the bird fly off? The, does the crow fly off in the second issue with the coin at the end, or does it just it's in the lake? No, now? it's in the lake. Okay. So this is and so this issue also. So I just read the fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, we you know you read eleven issues in rapid staccato fashion. Some things will kind of blur. There is, so there's a page in this where you see before they, when they're first talking about the nest, there's a shot where you're, the camera, so to speak, is above the nest. And it's looking down at this troop as the guy's like, oh, what kind of nest is that? What have we learned? And um, they're like, oh, there's something shiny in it. So it's the silver coin. We can see that. They can't. But as they're talking about it, then we see the crow return to the nest and it's Duncan. And we see the coin reflected in its eye. So we've got... A one page that is um, eight panels, and there's the crow returning to the nest, a close-up of the crow's eye with the coin reflected in it. Then we have Rebecca Good being hung in the fifth issue. We've got, I don't know what this other one is. I don't know if I'm missing something. It looks like, I think you said like a panhandler or something. He's like, like dead or passed out, leaning against a tree. I can't tell what's in his hand. Looks like it could be a drum or a tire or something. Uh, then we get the guitarist from the first issue. Uh, we get a shot of a bunch of windows in a building exploding, which I think is going to be from one coming up yep. that we're going to talk about. We get one of the severed heads on this tree stump with the arrow sticking out from Girls of Summer. And we get somebody holding two aces and an eight at obviously a gambling table. And that's going to be coming up shortly. But yeah, they the kids don't get the coin. The crow flies out, and um, 
knocks them down as they're trying to climb the tree, and then the Boy Scout leader just, you know, bring, he's like, okay, you know, we got to go. And so they, they leave. So that was, it was a cool little, um, I, some of the back, the, like, added stories or whatnot. Now, they're in the, tra- that's all in the trades, right? That's in the trade. It's collected. Yeah. Um, so it's cool. You can get it either way. And uh, I just, like, man, I was like, just five or six pages. Like, it added a lot. I, yeah. I really dug it. Um, Why don't you take us into seven? So seven. Ah, here we go. So I'm going to, this is a Ram V, who uh, right now is doing Swamp Thing, um, which I believe the quote-unquote second season of just started. Um, He's done, uh, he's writing Venom. Uh, He's done, I believe, some other work for DC. Um, Many Deaths of Layla Starr. I don't remember. That's what I just read recently. I loaned you some of those, actually. Yes, which I didn't really care for it very much. Uh, Not, you know, it wasn't bad. It just... I'm also, I read so much, I'm perpetually looking for ways and reasons not to read more. <laughs> like Understandably so. No, it's actually a series I need to go back to and finish, because I only got like three issues in. Um, and, and he had an Eisner Award winning book called Blue and Green, which I've heard is really good, but I've never read. I don't know anything about. But yeah, so he's the writer, and the name of this one is, it's, it's Aztec, and I always have a hard time pronouncing this stuff. Tozampanko? I'm going to say Tzampanko. Okay. So I could be totally wrong, though. Another fantastic fucking cover. Agreed. Um, this one, it's, it's not, so this is interesting. So it starts out with a guy uh, with a cowboy hat and a bolo tie hitting a jackpot. And the jackpot is all, like you see the cherries, the lemons, the sevens, bar, and his jackpot for a cross is... Eyes. The eye. The, and <laughs> the specifically coin. the evil eye from the coin. Um, and he's like, oh, I won. I can't believe it. He's obviously, we learn, likes to gamble, loses a shit ton of money, has no luck, but doesn't learn from it. And uh, for some reason, his buddy had, like, staked him with a bunch of money, which I thought was kind of interesting if he's really, like, because the, the guy at one point is like, okay, you got a lot of money, Look, let's knock it off now. But he's already in the thrall of his addiction. But I'm not sure why the guy staked him to begin with if he always loses. Um, but so we see this is Vegas, and it's a new casino called some. How'd you say it? It's some panko. Okay. And it looks like an Aztec... Um, like a pyramid. Like temple. a pyramid. Yeah. And we cut to this guy that looks kind of like a long-haired Sam Elliott, uh, except maybe with some Native American um, blood. And he's drinking scotch and pontificating on sacrifice. And so basically what this issue does is you see this guy starts winning. He tells his friend to fuck off. He gives him his, his stake money back and a little bit more. He's like, fuck off. And he's surrendering to his addiction, and as he's surrendering to the addiction, the casino is, oh, you're an MVP. Here, enjoy this room populated with hookers that will fuck you. Right. Um, which then, like, afterwards, he calls his girlfriend. He's like, oh, we're going to be we're gonna be rich, baby. It's like, wow. Um, but so what you get the idea is this guy that's sitting in by himself pontificating on the nature of sacrifice... We don't learn who he is ultimately, but you see that the same way the Aztecs would choose people to, to sacrifice to the gods as, as thanks, and they would, um, you know, if you, if you were chosen, you would live an amazing year or whatever it is, filled with women and whatever you wanted, and then they'd kill you. And so you see that they're doing the same thing with this fucking poor fool who just can't stop gambling. That's right, because he was talking about how the sacrifices weren't just prisoners they were people that that 
uh, volunteered for it. Yes, yeah. it was a great honor. Exactly. And so they're treating this guy as like, oh, it's an honor. You're an MVP. You know, it's all this is all on us and blah blah blah. Um, and then ultimately, after a full page orgy spread, <laughs> which is beautiful, <laughs> it, it is beautiful. It really is. Um, Walsh has a way of drawing blood and other bodily fluids that is is really um, beautiful in a really weird way. Um, but yeah, so ultimately he's invited, you know, oh, you're going to go, you know, the highest honor, you're going to go, I, I don't, they don't actually call him the owner, but um, the big man, they're going to go to the very top of the Tizampaco and you see this elaborate office that's decorated with all this stuff that's obviously authentic Aztec uh, art and, and memorabilia is not the right word for historical artifacts. Artifacts, that's the word I want. Yes. Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, he, this guy kills our, uh, dupe and, um, gets the coin back and then removes his head as well. Tears his heart out. Tears his heart out, removes his head. And, um, it's interesting because he, I, I wasn't clear on whether or not, uh, the high rollers were down there watching. I happen, was unclear of that as well. It or looks if it's like a they flashback are. to, to olden time. Where yeah. Just, I'm not where, sure. Yeah. Um, but to me, it looked like, to me, I kind of, I just took it as that, is that this sacrifice he's doing. Well, I mean, you, you actually, you can't, you can tell because they're all wearing suits and stuff. Oh, like you're that. right. Yeah, you're right. So this, this sacrifice that's happening is happening in front of all the high rollers. They, they're able to watch this guy be murdered basically. And then sacrifice, which is really interesting. Um, and then, uh, he gets the coin back. The guy's decapitated. His body's thrown down. If you've seen Apocalypto, you know what this looks like. Um, he eats his heart. He does. He know. Yeah, he does. Look, this, this shot here, and then the next shot, he's munching. Yeah, he looks like he's got a bite, and his uh, his teeth are now sharp. Also, yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty gruesome shit. And then the coin just ends up thrown back on another heap of coins. And Sean brought this up earlier. Where um, the the gentleman that is, I, I guess the you know indigenous Native American fellow says something to the coin. He says, "Hello, brother." Yes. Now I'm not sure sure where that goes or what the mythos is behind that, um, but you know I'm sure it's something that will be touched on again. As as you can see so far, all these stories are intertwined to some degree yeah and there's a bigger um supernatural picture here and so i'm gonna just guess this guy is descended from aztecs and or maybe he's even is one so he's been alive for a long time or maybe there's a spirit inhabiting this person but when he says hello brother so my theory now is that this coin and there's a reason for this we'll get to but when rebecca good made this curse she actually like opened a door that something came through and bonded to this coin and that something is related to this guy. So, and then of course it would make sense if he's like some kind of a, um, a malevolent spirit or whatever, supernatural entity from way back hundreds, hundreds and whatever years ago. Um, it would make sense that as they often do in, in, you see in horror, you know, a lot of the horror genre, what do they do? Well, they go where humans are weakest. And so he goes to Vegas, sets up this casino, and basically just feeds off of people's greed and lust. And there it is. It's 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 beautiful. And it, fucking another fantastic 
Another fantastic issue. When we cut to the last page of that, and we go back to the slot machine where it's not no longer I, 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 I. It's now four severed heads yes. across the yes. slot machine. Fant oh, fantastic. And I also wanted to bring up, it's interesting. So this, we don't have a date for this. I, and there's not really any way to tell. I mean, it's, it's I don't think it's the 80s. I'm going to guess this is, could be... I don't know, 90s, uh, maybe 2000s, maybe current. It's it, it's really hard to tell. I'm basing this just on like some of the suits that the casino people are wearing or whatever. Um, however, so at the end of the previous issue, where's the coin? The guy comes in, all the bodies are cleaned up in the arcade, right? And those three kids are waiting. He's like, sorry, manager wasn't here. He empties the coins. Like he's the guy that like pulls all the coins out or whatever, right? Yeah. So he technically then, because the kid that gets possessed in that arcade issue puts the silver coin into the slot. So it's in the arcade machine. Yes. He removes it with all the other coins and it goes wherever those go. And then now we see it pay out from a casino. So ah, yeah. for, for whatever the interim is between those. So if we were figuring that the arcade issue is early to mid 90s because of its relation to the summer camp issue then it, it could be 10 20 years this thing was sitting in court we don't know although yeah. i'm trying to remember i will say the 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 fact that they time stamp them it gets they do it less and less and i'm wondering if it's because they're broadening it as they go yeah to obscure it exactly um i think there's maybe only no that's not true actually it's not what i was going to say is not true which is there's maybe only one more that actually has a time stamp that's not you were going to lie to our audience i was i was told enough lie. hey i lied to them earlier about gene simmons so it's nice okay. there's <laughs> probably somebody that's really upset about that too oh that's unfortunate um join us on the kiss podcast that's coming up right after this show that was another lie nice so now we go to eight and this has got to be again my favorite cover i mean the fucking the the janitor's wash uh mop bucket with the fucking blood and severed heads which Fantastic. i am no stranger to because i have had this job before um it's gnarly um, so here we are. I'm not sure what the time frame is for this one either, as as far as it's... Uh, 68. 68. Winter, 1968, Wall Street, New York City. Bingo. There we have it. And it is about a janitor who, um, you know, he cleans up a, a high-rise and at some point during his career befriends the CEO of the company. And so he's, you know, privy to conversations and, and just ongoings of things that normal folks wouldn't really see behind the scenes. And... How are we doing? I think I think we're okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, he's privy to certain things that go on behind the scenes at the company, and at some point, uh, as he's you know cleaning up in there, he comes across a coin collection that the CEO had just purchased, and in that coin collection is the silver coin. Mm -hmm. Thus, a new obsession begins, and in doing in in becoming slowly uh, possessed by this thing. Certain certain things happen. Uh, obviously, he's tempted. He's tempted now by the coin. He wants the coin. He finds out that um, he's not being downsized, but he's. I guess he kind of spoke to his boss in a certain way that seemed too friendly, and 
or to the CEO anyway. And then all of a sudden he had a shift taken away. He's not going to be um, working on that, that particular floor any longer and, you know, becomes enraged. And at this point, um, there's, there's, a, there's a bit where he goes and talks to that guy and um, to kind of get what he wants, he pushes this gentleman who took his position and and pushes him in front of like I think a garbage truck or something like that. Yeah, guy gets fucking splattered. It's a great shot, too, man. Guy gets splattered, but there's nobody nobody around that sees it. And you know, it's one of these big unfortunate things where he comes in. Hey, did you ha- hear what happened to so and so? Oh no, what happened? You know, he goes, so that means I'll be getting that floor back, right? Which means he gets to be closer to the silver coin again. Yep. And um, as it's happening, and he's having more interaction with the CEO, the CEO's saying things like, you know, shit's not going well for him or what have you. And he goes, man, I wish, you know, somebody would kill that fucker, which I believe is a rival business owner. Yes. Um, so the, the janitor is trying to uh, gain favor and in hopes that, you know, he'd be able to somehow take the silver coin as payment and goes and offs this guy. But prior to doing that, um, there's a scene where he's at home, and you see that he's murdered his wife at home yeah. already, um, and and is just hanging out at home with you know flies buzzing about the corpse. So it's it's been there for days now. So you see how this guy is slowly, um, you know, uh, sinking into madness, or descending into madness rather. And you can see the, the, the lengths he's willing to go to. And he hasn't even touched the fucking thing. Yeah, right. He hasn't even touched it. And he's fully he's almost fully possessed by it. And so he comes walking into work. And, you know, he's holding a bag that's bleeding. <laughs> he's just walking through the offices. Hey, don't worry about me. I got to go up and see the big boss. You know, I got something for him. Gets up there. Uh, shows him the severed head. Now, by this point, he has police. Like, like security's already been, you know, alerted. Police have showed up yeah. because there's already an ongoing investigation into who killed this man and beheaded him, obviously. Um, they're following this guy up the stairs. There's a verbal alter- altercation. Um, the man, or the janitor now says, hey, I, I, I want my payment, basically. He wants the silver coin. He believes he's owed it. Uh, gets into it with the CEO. CEO steps in the way of gunfire. Yeah. Gets shot up. But he's also saying, no, it's mine. You can't have it. He gets shot up. Um, the glass to in the high-rise gets blown out to one of the giant windows from the gunfire. Uh, in a tussle, the coin goes goes rolling out. And it's, it's you know, getting really ready to roll off the ledge and fall, you know, down I don't know how many stories. And this this janitor guy goes diving after it, knowing that there's no way in hell that he's going to be able to actually get it, just as long as he's able to touch it. He's, yep. he's good with it. Jumps out the window. Followed by many other... It's interesting how you don't really see the madness until it's already moving through, like, through the office towards the window because all these other people... And so this is why I think that shot of the windows breaking out in the Boy Scout uh, mm-hmm. flash forward or whatever... Um, might have been this because you just see all these windows like there's a shot where he the guy the janitor grabs it slams into a car obviously dead the coin goes rolling and this homeless guy that that had been asking the the janitor for money earlier in the issue um, he's holding it it's like a nice full page like oh it's my lucky day he's staring at it intently and then behind him multiple windows are now blown out and there's just all these people jumping out of 
just to their plummeting to their death. Which going back to Lemire's issue was why I kind of thought of it as like a, a, a virus that spreads quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So oh, that, multiple yeah. possessions happening, you know, simultaneously, which is which is apparently possible because the uh, the the CEO had already uh, been affected by it. Yes. As far as you know, I one. think once it was out of the glass, maybe probably yeah. Right, because as soon as the glass breaks, because he goes from like, oh, don't hurt me, when the guy shows up with a yeah. severed head, he's he's timid and like you know, hands up, step back, get out of the way, and then all of a sudden the glass is broke, and he's no, it's mine. That's he what, walks yeah. and, Exactly. And so it just spreads. You're right. It's like a virus, fast-acting virus. That's really interesting. Uh, would like to note Matthew Rosenberg wrote this one. It's called Rising and Falling in America. And Matthew Rosenberg, if you've never read We Can't Go Home, or We Can Never Go Home, I think it's called. He does with Tyler Boss a couple of years ago for Black Mask. Outstanding. And now him and Tyler Boss are doing, and there's an ad for it in here, um, What's the Furthest Place from Here? Fucking amazing book. Just really, really good. So, um, yeah, really cool to see him pulled in. I know he does a lot of work for Marvel as well. Um, but, yeah, just, man. Another solid issue. Um, it's really fucking creepy. Definitely not what I was expecting. Mm-mm. And, uh, yeah, I like I said, to read if you're reading these things month to month, fuck, it... I read so much stuff these days where I, I kind of have to wait for the trade, even though I do pick them up month mm-hmm. to month just to have them because I'm insane. Um, but but going back and being able to just punch yourself in the face repeatedly with with it, you know, with the trade is so worth it. Yeah. And, and I mean, even if you, if you're not a month to month reader, um, again, I, I I can't fucking say it enough. Go pick these pick these books up. Go get them now. Yeah. Now now now. Sean, do you want to jump us into issue number nine? The Dancer. Um, so this, uh, I believe we once again are in 70s New York. There, I don't remember that there's a timestamp on the issue. But the thing is, at the end of this, there is a, uh, like, kind of a, an informational page, like a data page, where it's the Bronx is burning. And it talks about how in the 70s, New York was in such a bad state and in disrepair and laws couldn't be enforced because there weren't enough employees to enforce them and landlords were good landlords were being driven out slumlords were taken over and they just started burning the buildings in order to collect the insurance with the tenants inside so and this this is the 1970s i think mid to late 70s and this had a lot to do with like the you know white flight and stuff like that um fucking insane and the crow is loosely based on that as far as that storyline went where they were going and burning buildings uh, to get up get people out okay okay yeah. um which is interesting the crow yeah, <laughs> there you have it <laughs> um but so I'm, I'm assuming this is also just based on the suits and stuff like that so it's you get two well you get a cop talking to what you think is like a gangster or whatever he looks like the empire carpet guy <laughs> uh, except with tattoos looks just fucking like him and basically this cop is fucked up he's a gambling addict and he owes this guy money he can't pay and the guy's like okay well now i own you so go burn this fucking building down and you know get back to me um he burns the building down ends up being mistaken for a hero because he's about to kill a little girl and as the firefighters come in and find him they think he's saving her so now you've got this thing where she's in a hospital and she might not pull through and meanwhile you know He's commendated by society, and he's a hero in the pages of the paper and public opinion, but the guy who sent him on the job to begin with is like, okay, well now 
like you're not done. I'm, I I still own you, so you're gonna do more of this. And and hey, you're pretty good at it. So you you kind of like he goes through this. He ends up working with a local street gang. They eventually in a really interesting scene where like they're like, hey, fuck you, man. Like you haven't paid us yet for this shit. And on top of it, we heard you had to do with burning that building, and that's our turf. Yeah, you did it in our neighborhood. And he's like, oh, let me tell you, you you know. And he he's he's just basically saying like, I'm I'm God and you're shit, and you'll do whatever I fucking tell you. And uh, in a really interesting scene, the gang members, they walk away from him. And I don't know if this is biblical, but it sounds like it. And it's so, like, not what you would expect this guy to fucking say. He's like, and I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. You're not God. You're not even untouchable. You're just a man, and fire burns all the flesh if you fuck with it long enough. We're done. And... It's like such a weird, like, whoa, here's this like, like, Latin could, street yeah. thug, like from the 70s with the fucking, like the headband and the fucking kind of afro and, and like he's quoting Bible verse or something. I mean, it's just really cool. Yeah, really. they look like members of the Warriors. Yeah, the, totally, totally, yeah. totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's, well, it's, okay, so the thing, where does this guy, I'm trying to remember now. Oh, the coin. So here's the funny thing. So we didn't know. Okay, so the last issue ends with the homeless guy picking up the coin yes. as the people jump out of the building. And it's 1968. So we're now in the 70s. The same homeless guy is outside the bar where this cop first gets told, like, by the other guy, I own you, go burn this down. He walks out. Homeless guy asks him for money. And this guy actually fucking the cop robs him. And he gets the coin off of him. And then, like, for the rest of the issue, the coin is weird. It's, it, you see it like there's a newscast where you see it behind the newscaster. Which I was just going to mention right now. It's just a really cool fucking image. Really cool. But, like, it, it's interesting because, it to me, it's suggesting the influence is there in the media. Like, obviously, that's not really the set for the for the news program, right? So it's it's kind of like a way to to sh visually represent something that's like thematic. Um, but you, it's burning, a, like it's in, the, it's in the cop's pocket through the whole thing, but you don't actually see it. Like normally you see it, people holding it, going after it, fighting over it, rolling around. Instead, there's a full page spread that kind of is like a montage of him doing his dirty deeds and whatnot, shaking hands with these people, counting out cash, little girl laying in the hospital bed on life support. And you get the coin opening its eye, and it's like there's iterations of it across the splash page. It's a re really, really cool image. Which, you know, also goes back to, you know, the, the, the catchphrase for the series, the coin, or the curse needs defeat. So the more damage this guy does and the more, you know, harm he does, the the more unsated it becomes. Yes. It wants, wants more. You know, it wants more and more and more, obviously. Continue, Sean. No, just, uh, I mean, so eventually the street thugs walk away from him. So he goes back to trying to burn these buildings by himself. And the, the community, the thugs leave the community. They basically, when he goes into this building and set on fire, they fucking board up and yep. nail the fucking door. He can't get out, so he burns alive. And um, it's a great shot of them all standing out there, too, because it's like, the thugs, and then, like, a woman holding a little girl's hand, and, like, obviously just, like, neighborhood people, and they're just standing there watching. It reminds me of that scene in Prince of Darkness where, like, the guy comes out and looks, and all the homeless people are just standing there staring at him, yeah. like, very intently. 
not I don't think they're possessed. I think that that's just like their retribution. No, it's Although, just it's just street justice at that street point. Street justice. Yeah. Uh, the coin you see later, they show you the wreckage of the the building, and you see the coin steaming in the pile of debris. Um, oh yes, 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 yes. And so then the last page is you learn the police captain is actually the Empire Carpet guy that was yes. doing this, right? <laughs> Empire Carpet. I, he is a spitting fucking image. Um, I have the uh, the jingle in my head. One eight eight two three hundred Empire. Remember, there was like a weird period where like his daughter took over for him. Is that true? Well, she was on the commercials. First, it was both of them, and then I don't know if he got sick or passed away. But and she was like a pretty redhead, but had the the glasses but i always had the impression that she didn't need the glasses they just put the glasses on her so that it would be like a visual tie into the father anyway talk about a name um but yeah so another like a deputy brings in like that so and and in the wake of the of his death that cop like you see the new another news report again the coin is there in the backdrop of the broadcast and they're saying like oh this guy was a hero he's not a hero he actually was causing these fires and blah 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 the little girl is okay and um, this cadet or, or deputy brings the police chief, who is the Empire Carpet guy, the last, like the box of this guy, the other cop's belongings, and in it is the coin. And he just says, oh, my, you know, might be my lucky day. I don't think he uh, understands how unlucky he's probably going to be in another issue. Yeah. Yeah. A, another great issue. Yeah. Really good. And, uh, did, oh, we did not talk about, hold on. So... The writer of that issue, that issue is called The Dancer. So this is, uh, the author is Vita Ayala. And um, so they did uh, Nubia and the Amazons, which was, I think, like a, maybe a uh, spinoff of Wonder Woman. Uh, New Mutants for Marvel. Um, Trial of the Amazons. Uh, something called Static. So again, a fairly prolific uh, modern writer. And... Um, uh, some Morbius, uh, Livewire for Valiant. Um, yeah, really, um, I don't know, it was a great, great issue. I thought so too. Uh, I, I enjoyed this one. Um, and then just to tie it into like, um, you know, what was actually happening, you know, during its time and that it's based on, you know, real, real time events or real life events was, uh, was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, they, definitely. They added that element of, uh, of history into it and this is one of the things about this book i really like is like the back matter doesn't follow a particular pattern like it might be this thing where it's just like a small essay about like this what this is inspired this and this really happened or you know um like the the five page story about the boy scouts or there's another one coming up in, in issue 10 that we're about to talk about that's probably my favorite so far i absolutely loved it uh go dude take us to the 10 we are entering issue number 10 written and illustrated again by Mr. Michael Walsh. And it opens with a young lady who is talking to a uh, raccoon. A raccoon. And this time we actually well so this is the sequel. This is the first sequel, right? So this, this is, is Covenant Abomination. So we're uh, dealing with a lady that obviously has, you know, again ties it to the supernatural and and uh, certain, you know, witchcraft elements where she's able to talk to animals now. Uh, let's see here. This one was the one that was a little odd. So she ends up, uh, running into the crow. Mm-hmm. Duncan leads her into the woods. This time it's not quite a shrine that she finds. She finds a twisted corpse that is, uh, 
overgrown with like tree matter and stuff like that, also holding the coin. Now, much like most people do, uh, they pick the fucker up. Yep. She picks it up, and let me see here. Well, the reason she picks it up is because Rebecca Good appears. She does. Okay, she shows up, tells her to grab it. Uh, she asks her for help because she knows that she's she's in tune with whatever Rebecca yeah. Rebecca was in tune with, and basically is asking her for help and asks her to perform a ceremony. I I'm guessing to free her of of the uh, the never ending death or limbo that she's in from having been from the way she was killed. Um, now, whether or not I, I can't, I can't really recall whether or not I don't think it is because she invoked the curse that it is stuck in it. She is actually says sin? at one point, yeah, well, so she says, "Please sin. help me end this nightmare." But at one point, she says, "This isn't what I thought it would be," or something like that. Gotcha. So she uh, she coaxes her friend to come up, her friends to come over, hang out, and they they do a they do a ritual. She's got like a fucking <laughs> blood. Uh, I don't even know what you would call that. It's, it's a cross between the eye from the coin and like a pentagram, like yeah. drawn out on her floor with candles at the four cardinal points. Just really fucking cool looking. Yeah. Uh, so at some point, she is kind of taken over by the spirit of Rebecca. Mm-hmm. The coin starts floating around. Rebecca, you know, does an incantation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I and I, what I'm assuming is trying to banish the demon. Right now, we we brought this demon up earlier, or and and kind of. We're talking about now the physical manifestation of what's what the coin is actually imbued with. So, uh, in initially, you know, striking the curse, she, like Sean said earlier, opened some sort of doorway. So whatever came through is, you know, this, you know, quote unquote abomination that is that is pure evil, a being of pure evil, and. Uh, and this is this is the spirit, and this is something we also talked about in Sampanco, where the elderly gentleman who performed the sacrifice is probably brethren to this yes. demon. Uh, let's see what else here. Sorry, just kind of no, no, that's okay. Doing a refresher as the demon is talking, it's like, but you summoned me, aren't I? What you you know wanted? You summoned me from the dark lands, birthed me into the world, and gave me shape. And Rebecca's spirit is saying, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was calling upon. I thought, please just free me from the coin. I feel their pain, all of them. And what you realize at some point, you can see, not only is the Witchfinder uh, Cotton Dudley there, but you see an image in the shadows of the kid from the arcade with the scythe and the, the yeah. weird like crow-like mask. Um, who else is there? Uh, the guitar player. Um there's a oh the cop that uh, had just died in the last uh, issue. Um, they're kind of behind. They're like in the shadows. Hmm. Uh, what I thought was cool about this was uh, all all the friends are there. They're all doing their thing, and then the demon basically tells them, "I'm gonna let one of you live." Yes. Fucking fight it out. Yeah, yeah, which is fucking <laughs> awesome. So all these friends turn on each other to try and fucking off each other, and you know some of them are successful in it. Actually, all. Well, all, I think all but one uh, are all fucking offed. Yeah. And the witch girl survives. Yeah, she survives, but, like, it, it's just fucking brutal. And to, to see um, Cotton come back with his face all mashed in. And that was such a shot. Cool, oh. fucking, cool fucking page where you see him show up again. He, like, steps out of the shit. Like, the one girl's, like, locked herself in the bathroom, and the others are, like, you know, let us in, yeah. let's get out of here, whatever. And she's like, go away. 
And then she turns around and he's stepping out of the from behind the shower curtain. And then when you see the close up his face, it's just you can see where the hoo from the horse just fucking caved the middle of his face and it's fantastic. And then they try to break the window, can't get out. Yeah. And who's outside? Duncan. Of course. And I in maybe my favorite moment in this, in a book filled with favorite moments, uh, just because it's so weird, like so the demon basically says, like, to Rebecca's spirit, give me a name and I'll let you go. Uh, but don't say the name so that anyone can hear it because names are power. And so if she gives it a name, it has a name, but he doesn't or it doesn't want any, any humans to have the name because then they could have power over it, right? So she speaks a name in another language. May it, she says, may it never be heard by the ears of man. And then says, now time to let me go. And it says, thank you, mother. And you see the shadows relinquishing her. Goodbye. And you see Duncan as she's floating, like disintegrating into the sky above the house, like going to her reward or whatever. You see Duncan flying after her and, he, and the crow is like, stay. She's like, I'm so sorry, Duncan. I'm sorry for what he's made you do and what he will make you do. I hope to see you again, old friend, in another life. And then Duncan's just like, Caw! which I would assume translates as, you fucking bitch. You fucked me over. Now I don't have anybody who can <laughs> translate what I'm saying either. It's cool. You see this demon kind of like in a humanoid form almost, but as it changes you kind of see it become almost this lovecraftian creature yeah. that's made up of tentacles and black eyes. mass and eyes and just other fucking twisted shit um it's just this this issue um ultimately just becomes this this thing where uh like sean said if something it's it in most occultism where if if a demon or something is given name then it can be uh, exercised. Yes. So now, if it just lives as legend, where I'm only going to let one of you live, etc., it just I think it it invokes more curiosity amongst people to seek the coin out. Yep. And so then it's able to continue to to live on and feed in shadows, which is fucking amazing. Until ultimately, maybe it becomes a thing that does become a worldwide virus that that we see in a twenty four sixty seven. And that, um, that is issue 10. Well, I like the way it ends where the girl, the coin, so the witch girl's running away and the coin's like trying to tempt her and she throws it into the lake. Yes. And then the raccoon from the beginning that she was feeding and talking to walks up to her and she's like, Randall, you still here? Me too. And then they're just, it's just them staring at the lake and it ends. So I really like that. I hope she's safe. I liked her character quite a bit. Then there's this back matter and it's by Adita Bidikar, who has done Black Hammer, uh, in eight, 18 Days with Grant Morrison, Shadow Tiger, Empire of Blood, um, a, a bunch of titles. Um, and so this is called Unrighteous Instruments, and it's a two-page transcript of, as the text sets up, interview transcript recorded uh, the 17th of September, 2007. Subject, sorry, su subject Sergeant Harry Bix, interviewer, Special Agent Severian, eyes only. And it's basically this story, uh, this, it's a special agent interviewing this cop about something that's happened, and it's about this other cop who's, man, they, they do a lot for the lore here. I mean, uh, he's like, he's telling about this coin, and these kids are talking about this chat room, and some of them disappeared. I wasn't sure if they were talking about the kids from this issue, but it's not, I don't think. Although this issue, I do think, takes place in the 2000s, based on, mainly based on the, what the the witch girl and her friends look like in the yeah. opening where it's a very, very 2000s 
2000s-ish fashion for the teenagers. Agreed. Uh, so maybe, I don't know, maybe they are referencing this. I don't know. But they're talking about, oh, this coin, you know, uh, it passed from owner to owner all over the world. Um, they had theories about it, where it come from. Puritan superstition. Some went back further. Rome, Aztecs, India, what have you. One guy thought it was Native American revenge for... Uh, genocide, or maybe it's one of Judas's 30 pieces of silver, which I fucking loved. That would be fucking amazing. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, but then it just goes into this detective Mer all about this detective Merman and how his younger brother was getting involved in these kids, with these kids that were talking about this online. He was afraid he was going to be sacrificed and, and and the whole thing turns out where Merman was actually looking for the coin and he killed a bunch of kids that were cosplaying that were like in it. But so this is like becoming a Basically, like a Slender Man thing mm -hmm. is what I'm I'm see, I'm thinking. It's like a creepypasta or like a, a viral urban legend. Um, but they reference like they're, oh, there's churches and it's worldwide, and you know this is their god. So it really sets up a huge scope again, which you know I mean is interesting where we have this huge scope in. So 2467, I'm now wondering like, is the reason the old world was demolished and they built this new technological world on top was because of the fucking silver coin? That's something I had not considered and am completely blown away by right now. I did literally it just occurred to me right nuts. now as I said it. Uh, just a quick correction, Sean, you were correct about the high score um, the cover. You did have cover B and this is cover A. And, oh, nice. And then there's a pinball machine with nail biter on oh, it. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Nice. So, yeah. Oh. You were correct about that. Sean, jump us into... Uh, Issue 11, which is the last issue that came out last month. And again, we do have another issue. Come, well, not we, but there's another issue that we'll be treated to uh, coming, uh, coming out this coming Wednesday on July 20th. And I'll get that title for you in just a second. But um, this was <laughs> this was probably the nastiest for yeah. me. I'm not even going to lie. This was the goriest. Now, I read this last night, and it was fucking nightmare fuel to say the least i'm not even joking when i say that uh real quick the issue 12 is going to be called till dawn Ooh. it looks like a wartime uh, a wartime uh it looks like world war ii actually okay so that looks uh looks fun but anyway uh this one's written by the almighty james tinian who is well if if, if you're listening this far, you know who the fuck James yeah, is. Yeah, right, exactly. And we've we've already, you know, stroked him off plenty on one of the last episodes of... Uh, a Most Horrible most Library. Horrible library. Yeah, yeah, basically that show could almost start be calling like James Tinian's Most Horrible Library. There it is. But uh, Sean, please jump us in, man. Uh, we So we just get the failing diner right next to what is essentially McDonald's, right? Um, yes. And the woman complaining about it. We get that this is... I believe this is 78 because the last issue sets it up that it's 78 and also the one of the girls working at the diner is reading Stephen King's Carrie and it's obviously a new book. Yes. Um, but this woman that owns the diner is just going on and on about you know how this fast food place next door is putting her out of business and this guy comes in. He's like, oh, here, I left you a great tip and uh, <laughs> what's what's on the uh, table there, Anthony? Uh, looks like a silver coin to me. Yes. And has an eye. And uh, we'll get into who this uh, this stranger is who left the tip in a little while. Now, um, this place is failing. There's not a lot going on there. I mean, 
the uh, the elderly woman who's one of the owners actually tells the young lady that's that's there working, you know, I can't even afford to pay you. Yeah. And there aren't enough people to even really come in here to live off of tips. That's basically all you're 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 working toward. And the young lady says, you know what? It's fine. I just needed this is a nice quiet place to come read, <laughs> which is interesting. But uh, I remember doing something similar in high school. I would go to my English classes and and not do the curriculum and just read whatever books I wanted to. That's funny. Um, so this, uh, you know, this they find this uh, this silver coin and the elderly lady says, "Here, that was your table. Why don't you take it?" And then you know she tells her, "No, you obviously need it more than I do." So she keeps the coin, or she's getting ready to toss it in the trash actually because she had no, she had no idea what its value was or whatever. The cook comes out and sees it and tells her uh, not to toss it because it might be worth something. So um, the young lady says, "Hey, that's your lucky coin." I can't actually. I can't remember whether or not it was the uh, the cook or the young lady that said it. She says it. Yeah, make a yeah, wish. Make a wish, and she says, "You know, I I you know wish this place basically packed to the brim tomorrow with a bunch of hungry hungry motherfuckers tomorrow." And she's got a foul mouth too, which is awesome. This yeah. old lady. So. Uh, she comes to open up the next day. There's a line around the around the building, waiting her for to open the door. Waiting for her to open the door, and um, <clears throat> she's kind of like, "What are you guys doing here? We're waiting for you to open." Okay, so you know, uh, much like the monkey paw, your your wish came true, and people come in. They start ordering all kinds of food, almost to the point to where it's unhealthy mm-hmm. until it is at the point where it's unhealthy. People ordering full, you know, four, five full meals and just keep asking for more and more and more and more to the point to where uh, the the cook is actually saying, you know what, I'm I'm feeling fine. I can keep up this pace. In fact, I feel like I could do more. Yeah. I could go faster if I needed to. So, and that's unnatural because he's elderly himself. So it's kind of kind of weird. So you, you start seeing, you know, this stuff is... Uh, Things are starting to take shape as far as what's going on in this diner. And before you know it, someone's stomach bursts. And phones stop working. There's no way to uh, raise any kind of emergency to, to get down there to help this guy. And the old lady's like, well, you know, I'll kill two birds with one stone. We'll keep this guy in the back here with the cook. I'll go across the street and go shopping for more provisions so we can keep feeding these people. And uh, and I'll use their phone. Comes back with groceries and people are still eating. And uh, and she's like, oh, I wonder what he's feeding them because we don't, we ran out of meat. And he must have found something in the back. The young lady's like, yeah, that's got to be it. And um, you see people eating and the... the the eating itself has become much more grotesque. Yes. Because there's a lot of up-close shots. And I've got a thing about, like... I, I think I brought it up before where I don't like ASMR because of, like, the salival sounds. Mm-hmm. He's illustrated it. And he's... he's yes. He's, he's written out, like, all the uh, all the, all the the sounds. Tinian wrote out all the sounds that mouths make. It's really gross. And I'm just like, oh, God. Like, you can, you can almost see it and smell it and hear it yes. like that's how descriptive it is and it's so fucking effective um and then it gets to the point to where the elderly woman goes back there and sees that the gentleman with the burst stomach who's still back there is now completely butchered and has been slaughtered yeah and is being cooked up by the chef who is now completely possessed by the silver coin yeah who mind you doesn't have it on yeah, his person yeah does not have it 
he does not have it on his person, so he is uh, he's being affected by it, you know, indirectly, but he's being affected by it. And she kind of just, she loses her shit, she pukes, backs out of the kitchen, but the chef doesn't stop, keeps cooking, keeps serving, and all these people are just stuffing their mouths. Now, the young woman who was reading earlier has no idea what's going on back there. And the elderly woman tells her, you know what, I think you should take off for the day. No, 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 I don't want to leave you like this. I don't want to leave you hanging. You obviously need the help. She goes, no, you need to get out of here. So she keeps pressing the issue about how she wants to stay and help. She la she screams at her, like, basically, get the fuck out of here. Don't come back tomorrow. I'll call you when it's safe to yeah, come yeah. back to work. Don't come back. Um, at this point, the girl leaves. She goes back in and tries to stop the chef. Uh, they get in an altercation. Chef guts her, like yeah. stuffs a pretty big kitchen knife in her stomach. Um, they, you know, they they scrap around on the floor. Doesn't she? She slashes his throat. She's she forks to, him in the eye. Forks him in the. Jesus Christ, that's so much worse than what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> forks him in the eye. He goes down, and um, now all these people are in there wanting more food. There's nothing else to eat. Start eating plates at they one st point. Yeah, at one point they're breaking plates off in their mouth. Eating, eating. their own fingers. There's a man who's seen uh, gnawing his... He's actually eaten all the flesh away from his forearm, and he's just pulling it so, pulling it into his mouth. And it looks like, you know, a, a zombie film. Yeah, totally. And uh, all these people are possessed, obviously, by the coin. Uh, all these people ha are, have, you know, eaten 10 meals over and they're still, they still have this insatiable hunger, much like, you know, the, 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 the cursed coin. And she's standing there bleeding out, smoking a cigarette. And she's like, you guys just aren't going to stop, are you? Well, order up. Orders up. All these, you know, fiends jump all over her and that's the last you see of her. They just begin devouring her alive and it's just horrific and it's something that i've said before in horror films where zombies are are pretty much the thing that scare me the most because they're us and to just imagine yourself being devoured by a neighbor loved ones or anybody else it, it, it's just something yeah. that's always been far more horrific than than a slasher or anything of, of that nature but that's the end of her now we get back to where and how the coin got into the restaurant. Sean, take us away. So through the issue, the guy that tipped her, at one point she wa uh, when she leaves for the day after she says, I hope tomorrow, you know, I wish that there's a bunch of people here. He's sitting on a park bench across the street watching. When she goes to the store to try and call 911 from the store, he's sitting on a park bench watching. Grinning. <laughs> and you realize it's the firefighter from the first issue who picked the coin out of the fire sale, you know, where the band, uh, the Disco Inferno happened. And uh, he, so he has apparently, so he's, so, the, and I got to say, so when the, the the diner owner, she walks out and says, order up. Reminds me a lot in a way of the scene in True, True Romance where Dennis Hopper is being interrogated by Lulu Boyle, Christopher Walken. And there's that scene where he just knows, like, I'm not getting out of this. Yeah. Can I have one of those Chesterfields? <laughs> he lights it up and like, it's just such a great scene because it's like he knows what's happening. She walks out, she lights that cigarette and she's like, order up. And they just devour her. So yeah. she knew, right? So it's a, just a great, oh man, I love that. But 
So then he walked, the, so this Lewis Atkinson, who we saw pick up the coin in, in, from the Disco Inferno ruins in issue one, and we saw get killed in 19, so that was 78. We saw get killed in 86 by the home invasion gone wrong. And so this is 78 again. So we are taken to believe now, because he walks into the diner, looks at the fucking carnage, and then picks up the coin, walks out, sets it on fire. Now he's holding a notebook and he's writing in it, right? Field notes. And then he says, he looks at the coin, he says, you're an incredible little thing, aren't you? Let's see what else you can do. So clearly, he's been he's going to be experimenting this with this for a while. Yes. I would love to see a back matter that is a page or two pages of his fucking notebook. Absolutely. Oh my God. Um, and he has that same, like, just intense look. Like, he's yeah. obviously possessed, but maybe in some ways more in control of himself yeah. than other people. Eyes glazed over, just, yeah, totally fucking enamored by this thing, and it, it brawled. It, um, yeah, absolutely. And it looks, <laughs> it's just, I can't wait to see what kind of fucked up shit he starts going on. And, and of course, you know, this is the coin using him. Yes. And, you know, eventually you'll pay the price, but right now... Unless he's just a sicko who gets off on seeing this kind of shit happen. But that scene where he walks into the diner, first you see like an outside shot of it, mm -hmm. and you see splatter all over the windows. Windows, yes! There's splatter all over the windows. And then he gets in there, and there's just fucking carnage everywhere. Just dead people everywhere. Yep. What we're describing can does it comes nowhere close to what you would see in these books. Third time I'm saying it. Go buy the motherfuckers. Yeah, it's man. And there, I said to you earlier, Tinian. He reminds me. His writing doesn't necessarily remind me of Neil Gaiman, but he the scope of his writing, and and uh, I don't know. There's something about. I feel like he's like kind of like the analog to the current comics field. What Neil Gaiman was when Sandman launched and, and caught fire, right? And and I've thought that for quite some time. And now this diner. When when Lewis Atkinson walks in and sees the carnage, it reminds me so much of the one of my favorite issues of Sandman, where it's Doctor De uh, Destiny uh, has the Dream King's amulet, walks into that diner, and there's the eight people or whatever, and it's 24 hours in that diner with those people, and it just devolves, and it ends up turning into complete carnage. And I I don't know if that was an influence. I would suspect it is because I I mean I feel like that book is. Very wide-reaching in its influence, but yeah, I don't know. Fantastic, uh, another fantastic piece of writing from Tinian, and this one inside Michael Walsh's personal nightmare paradise. Uh, there is a a, a brief uh, five-page, six-page back matter that is called Dark Passage Part One by Adam Gorham. That's going to be ongoing, apparently. Or yeah, like for some time because it says you know continued next issue, and it has to do with a paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, obsessed with something he believes will give him power, and this guy's name is Ferris Souter, and uh, it's it's a cop or an agent talking to. She's with the U.S. Marshals, and she's talking to this woman. They think that he might contact her, and then it turns out he did, and you just see that it has something to do with the coin. It's very vague at this point, so I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes as well. Yeah, there's that cool little piece at the end where you see the moon turn into the uh, no it's not the moon is it a piece of paper she, she's holding a coin. piece of paper yeah and it, it well oh no you're right you're right it looks like um 
it looks like the moon and then the eye is superimposed over the moon yeah. and then she picks up there's a piece of paper that says yeah, follow gotcha. me and it has the moon um And Adam Gorham, so he's done Blue Flame, Godzilla Rivals, uh, a Dune um, book. Um, again, looks like another fairly prolific uh, comics writer and uh, an artist. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just cool to see how many people Walsh pulls in and uh, has work on this. And it's it's just, man, it's just so good. It's really cool to, to see that he's got this pool of talent that he's just like, hey, do you mind stepping outside of, you know, uh, capes and tights for a second and just come do do this and yeah. run wild with it? And so many people have answered the call, and it's just yep. fucking rad. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up was uh, they've been plugging their, their shop, Tiny Onion and, and, uh, and Walsh, and they, <laughs> I brought something for Sean this evening wonderful gift it is a replica of the silver coin that you can buy on the shop and and if you're already a fan of the the series go on there and buy that thing it's 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 inexpensive they have a, you know like a shirt and you know maybe two different shirts and, and the coin itself which is just fucking cool to have as far as you know memorabilia or uh or just to have a replica of it and, and i'm gonna carry mine around in, in my wallet you know for good fortune until i'm you know, eventually uh, devoured by a giant group of people or, you know, gored by an elephant, something stupid like that. But, uh, no, it's check out the shop, too. They've got really awesome shit in there. And then uh, before we leave, we're going to uh, hit you with two issues from another ongoing series right now that is um, adjacent to this. And um, and But for now, you know, I really hope you guys have... Uh, enjoyed our in-depth review of the silver coin series thus far and again please go out and buy the new issue if you are current on it on wednesday the 20th yeah so please um here we go uh this one's called pentagram of horror this is through the black caravan imprint who is also a a, a sub of uh scout comics yes it is uh it's they're written and Illustrated by uh, Marco Fonten... Fontanelli? Yeah, Fonten I think it's Fontanelli. I'm not familiar with any of this guy's other work. I'm not either, but this I want to be. Because I fucking love this. And these come out every two months. Uh, there's two issues out currently right now. So next month, I guess? No, it's it's actually... The second one was in May, so it is this month. I okay. think it's, it might even be this week. I saw the, I thought I saw the solicitation. Okay. Um, they are fucked. <laughs> yeah. The artwork in these are fucking killer. It uh, really is. The stories are small. They're short. They're short and sweet. Usually, it's somebody. Well, in the first issue, there's somebody. I'm, we're not even going to spoil these, uh, but it's it usually has something to do. Well, the first two issues have something to do with uh, a demon summoning. Yeah. And they are very gruesome. Uh, the second issue is far more intense than the first yes. and I assume that it's only going to continue to escalate into madness and I'm so looking forward to these um, there's two issues out two out of five um, I hopefully these things come out in like a really nice uh, hardcover or something like that yes. I can almost picture this in like a big leather bound yes. book with a pentagram on it or something make uh, it so yeah there's only like three or four color schemes that he uses for for these books so far it's kind of like a, a, a brownish Lots of fucking red, black, 
and a, a couple hints of blue. Yeah. Which really make the uh, make the pages pop. Uh, great fucking series again through Black Caravan. Uh, this might not be something that every shop's gonna gonna um, carry, but go request it. Yes. Yeah. Because they'll they'll get them in for you, you know. And it's like like I said, it for fans of the silver coin and just fans of horror in general like these are just solid fucking books anything you want to say about them Sean? I, I just really like I didn't know anything about it other than the title and that was an anthology a limited anthology and uh, you know there was a, an, uh, one or two other indie anthology horror books that I had picked up over the last year or two that I mean they're okay but they, they didn't really like completely floor me yeah. but this fucking floored me yeah and I missed the first issue because our shop didn't didn't order it. I don't know if they subsequently did because they're like, oh, you're not the first person to ask for that. We didn't order it. I picked up two recently when I was out of town, and then I I told Anthony about it, and he graciously picked me up number one because on your driving routes, like you hit a bunch of shops, which yeah. I do not do. So that was super cool. So thank you. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, like it. I want that leather bound. I want that. I don't. I don't buy the hard covers all the time. Yeah. I would buy that in a fucking I made set. it up in my head. I just hope it's something I, that really man, does happen. I think that would be amazing. But yeah, it's it doesn't look like anything else. It definitely reminds me of Silver Coin in a way, and it's an anthology. And it, but but this time it's you know Marco um, Fontanelli is drawing and writing. I guess all of them, and and so it's his baby. And it's man, I just I don't know. I really it it's just an impressive book it's a good the, the paper stock they use everything yeah. about it i just really 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 like it and so. they're meaty too they're, yeah. they're really meaty wonderful texture in them yeah uh, those covers especially the covers like, like you said the card stock in them just give you this um i i like you're picking up an old book yeah and it it's just it's got a it's got a great all-around presentation to it it's yeah they're just really fucking cool books five bucks a pop uh don't buy them for your kids you don't buy it for your kids, but and if you're like, oh, five bucks, it's totally. This is very independent. Scout's small. Yeah. I mean, now and, and I'm, that's not. I'm not knocking them, but like, if you're gonna give somebody your five bucks, give Scout Black Caravan and Marco Fontanelli your five bucks, especially if you're a horror fan, because we, I, I, we think you'll dig this, uh, especially if you like Silver Coin. Don't compare it to Silver Coin. Don't be like, oh, you know. <clears throat> but it's. I don't know. I really, really like it. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, that has been our deep dive into The Silver Coin by Michael Walsh and friends. And uh, with a epilogue of Pentagram of Horror by Marco Fontanelli. And uh, we haven't done one of these in a while. We'll do one again soon. Lots of big shit happening in our lives. So it's just been harder to get together. But um, yeah, we're going to be doing more. So until then, for the Horror Vision Horror Podcast, I'm Sean. I'm Anthony. And we'll be back to pick you up later, good looking. Yep. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs>